This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gothamites, Lane here. Welcome to episode 13 of Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. This is part four of book number two, Batman The Ultimate Evil by Andrew Vax. Today we'll be discussing chapter seven and eight. I received some feedback this week. Chrisados from the Longbox Crusade says, Hi Lane, I have just started listening to your podcast. Three episodes in and really enjoying it. I still have my copy of Batman, the movie adaptation from 1989 when I bought it back then. I do several podcasts on the Longbox Crusade Network. I've been wanting to do a podcast on the Robotech novels, but I was not sure how I would like to do the format. I really like the format you use by going chapter and scene and then providing your notes. I was wondering if it would be okay to use your format. Thanks for reading this. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the time you took to reach out to me. I didn't know there were Robotech novels. I suppose I should just accept that there's pretty much novels and novelizations about everything. It's wonderful. But yes, you may certainly use my format, and I'll be checking out your podcast. I've heard of the Longbox Crusade, but hadn't gotten over there just yet, so I will remedy that. Over on the Batman Universe Discord, Mattman, I love your handle, by the way, posted... I am so excited about this podcast. Just subscribed and I'm going to binge this. Thank you. I hope that it's living up to your expectations. But yay, that just put a big smile on my face. Thank you so much. Also on Discord, Monarch Prime says, So many podcasts in the Batman universe. It's always a treat when I discover something new. I have to admit, I do read novels and such, but when it comes to Batman, my main sources are the comic books. Didn't even know about the novelization for the movies or Ultimate Evil. I've grown a bit lazy. I started listening to audiobooks instead of reading novels because my eyesight is almost gone, and I can at most read ten pages before I literally doze off. Another user, Wedge, replied, That isn't lazy. That means you can read while walking or driving. I 100% agree with Wedge. I love audiobooks. For several years, I had to commute over an hour to work. And I got so sick of the same music being played over and over again. I even subscribed to Satellite Radio, and they still played the same music over and over again, which is really infuriating. So I tried audiobooks, and suddenly the drive became much more enjoyable. The same thing with podcasts. If I'm doing house chores or mowing the grass or any other menial task, I can guarantee that I've got earbuds in playing either an audiobook or a podcast. Thank you for your comment, Monarch Prime. I hope you're able to find some Batman-related audiobooks. There's a supposedly unabridged audio version of the 89 Batman out there, but it's only an hour and 35 minutes long. 
It's even listed on Audible as unabridged. It's only a few bucks, so I think soon I'm going to buy it and then compare it to the novel because I fail to believe that it's unabridged. And if it's not unabridged, Audible shall feel my wrath. Um, I mean, I'd point it out to them because, you know, false advertisement. I also received some feedback from John of the Married with Comics podcast and Rod Pod with John and Maggie. His comment is on the ultimate evil as a whole, so I'll actually save that one for when we wrap up the book. As always, if you'd like to send comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me on Twitter at BatmanBooks underscore DKP or an email at DarkNightPros at gmail.com. I also occasionally linger around the Batman Universe Discord, so you can find me over there as well as Monarch Prime and Matman did. Thanks, everybody. So let's get into Chapter 7. The first scene is a very short one. Chapter 7, Scene 1. The Batman leaned back and touched a button below the steering wheel. The Batmobile's canopy slid open with a faint whoosh. The Batman climbed out and looked down at the prison, shading his eyes from the moonlight. After a long minute, he reached back inside the Batmobile and hit the switches to retrieve the probes, a falconer recalling his birds. Once they were back inside their cages, the Batman opened a large panel and pulled out what looked like a backpack harness. The straps were cleverly designed to precisely match his costume. He slipped the harness over his shoulders, taking care that his cape hung on the outside, completely concealing the backpack from view. The Batman touched a transmitter on his utility belt, and the Batmobile's pneumatic pistons pushed the canopy closed. In that position, the vehicle was virtually invulnerable to attack. Then the Batman stepped to the very edge of a nearby precipice, spreading his wings, and dove into the night. My notes? This scene is literally just Batman getting out of the car and putting on a backpack, but I enjoy the imagery of a falconer recalling his birds when he recalled the probes. When used in moderation, similes and metaphors add a nice touch of spice to a narrative. You don't want to overdo it, though, else you'll find yourself self-narrating like a film noir detective. What's in the backpack, Batman? More gadgets? Homework? A peanut butter and jelly sandwich made lovingly by Alfred, who takes the time to draw a little bat into the peanut butter even though he knows you won't see it unless you use detective vision? I bet it's that one. I bet it's the sandwich. Chapter 7, Scene 2 The Batman used the titanium-reinforced veins in his cape to adjust for maximum glide. He rode the thermal smoothly, vectoring in. When he was satisfied that he was well-launched, the Batman touched off the mini-jet engine strapped to his back. The engine was crafted for maximum portability. It didn't have the thrust to lift a man airborne, only enough to sustain flight once in the air. The Batman swept past the gun towers in a high arc, positioning himself precisely. The mini-jet engine had no capacity to reverse thrust. It was necessary to turn it off completely in order to land. The Batman made two more passes, familiarizing himself with wind currents and checking for downdraft. He aimed himself upward, increased thrust, then extinguished the mini-jet at the peak of his climb. Using his cape as a modified parachute, Batman lands on the prison roof. He waits half a minute, orienting himself and making sure that his presence wasn't detected. Once he feels satisfied that he has not been seen, he uncoils a length of bat rope, attaches it to the roof, then lowers himself upside down, resting bat-style, until he hangs in front of the window of the middleman's cell. The prisoner is still asleep. Batman removes a flat disc of clear plastic from his utility belt, removes the adhesive, and sticks it to the glass. 
the device that he stuck to the window, known as an SNR disc by emergency services personnel, was designed by Batman to assist in search and rescue missions by providing two-way communication. Quote, Placed against the outside wall of a mineshaft cave-in, it allowed the rescuers to actually hear the voices of those trapped inside. The back-and-forth communication not only speeded rescue, it gave off a steady supply of hope to all concerned. Unquote. What conversation does Batman and the Middleman have? Let's take a listen on the stage of... Rustin B. Theater is proud to present That Time Batman Uses the Middleman. Returning guest star, Chris. Sistrunk, Sistrunk, wake up. What the? Over here, by the window. Hurry up. Who? What? Keep quiet. I came here to talk. That's all. Okay, let's talk. As you can see, I certainly have the time for it. You are a facilitator, are you not? You bring a willing buyer and a willing seller together? That's me. If you got something you want to move, you come to me. And if you got something you need, you come to me too. All I do is put people together. This is off the record. Do you understand what I mean by that? Sure do. You move contraband, yes? Guns, narcotics, stolen art, jewelry. That and more. If there's a profit in it, I'm in it. That's why I came. There's a question I want answered, and I'm willing to pay for it. I don't need money. It's not money. It's something much more valuable. What is it, then? I will not say until you answer my questions. But I promise you, what I say is true. Fire away. I have been told there is profit, substantial profit, in child abuse. I have been told that, for some child abusers, there is both pleasure and profit in what they do. I can comprehend the pleasure, and I know there is a market for anything if you know where to look. Tell me where to look. The middleman explains to Batman that generally it all comes down to three avenues. Selling pictures, selling services, or just selling the kids themselves. Sistrunk tells him that the market for the first one, kitty porn, is so good there's people in it who aren't into that sort of thing. Kind of like how big drug wholesalers are not addicted to the drugs they distribute. The second avenue... Kitty prostitution is another big one, but it's not as profitable because kids get used up pretty quick in that life. The final, buying the kids outright, Batman at first mistakes for perhaps a black market adoption. The middleman sneers and corrects him, To use, understand? Use any way they want. And when they're done, they just throw them away. And yes, by throwing them away, he means exactly what Batman thinks it means. Now it's time for Batman to keep up his end of the bargain. He says, There's a tunnel, under the prison. It's almost to the wall. The authorities know about it. Tomorrow is the day they're going to shut it down. Anyone caught in it at the time will be looking at a lot more years in here. The middleman appreciates the tip. Fair trade. The Batman starts to leave, but Sistrunk says, Hold on. Wait a minute. I got something to tell you. The Batman waits. 
The middleman tells him of a guy out on the West Coast who arranges sex tours out of the country to places where it's legal to have sex with kids. He's not the only one, either. Sex tours are a huge business. The man's name is Draco, and he can always be found at a place called the Dragonfire Marina, and his boat is called the Lollipop. Tours cost $15,000 up, depending on the extras desired. Tell him a guy called Lester Tuxley referred you, but make sure you tell Draco that you spoke with Lester before tonight, got it? Batman says yes, and starts to ask what he can do to repay this information, but the middleman cuts in. Nothing. It's on the house. A long moment passes between the two, then Batman reaches to pull the SNR disc from the glass. The middleman places his palm against the glass and looks at Batman with beseeching eyes. The Batman places his own gloved hand against the glass over the middleman's. The middleman whispers, Make them pay. Then he turns away, standing for a dozen heartbeats, his whole body trembling. When he turns around again, the Batman is gone. My notes? Thanks again to Chris for guest starring in Rest in Peace Theater. The backpack. Ah, it's a jetpack. The heat will make the peanut butter nice and gooey and toast the bread but it might make the little bat that Alfred carves into the peanut butter a little hard to see. <laughs> and as for the S&R disc, props to anyone who can handle something adhesive while wearing gloves. If you needed more proof that Batman is a superhero, there you go. <sighs> well, this is another chapter where I needed to sit and take a breath afterward. Vax does a good job of making Sistrunk a, a sympathetic character, it makes me wonder, though, if Sistrunk deserves to be in a supermax prison. If I recall correctly, his crimes involved money laundering, forgery, fraud, gambling, nothing that includes violence against another person. Does that sound right to anybody else? Maybe he's an escape risk, I don't know. I have a couple of friends who are cops or prison guards that I could ask, but it's kind of an odd subject to broach, and I don't even know if that's something they'd know. The hand-to-glass-to-hand contact was... Interesting. I'm still learning about Batman in many ways, but my first instinct is to say that it's a little out of character for him, or for at least with someone who isn't one of his close personal loved ones. But it was a nice moment. A prisoner who doesn't have a lot to hope for, who has a chance to do a little good. A superhero who recognizes the painful past of this man and sees the humanity in him. Keep in mind, Batman is still upside down. But yeah, kind of a, a nice moment there. Fun fact for Chapter 7. There are a number of options for Supermax facilities in the United States. Most are within facilities that only contain Supermax wings or sections, with other parts of the facility under lesser security measures. But there is only one fully Supermax prison in the U.S. The United States Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility, located in Florence, Colorado. We'll take a promo break here, and when we come back, we'll start Chapter 8. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lane, and I don't know enough about Batman. Hi, Lane. Hi, I'm Kat, and I don't know enough about Batman. Hi, Kat. We've taken the first steps by admitting that we have a problem. Now, we're doing something about it. We are here to learn about Gotham's past, stories of those who live there, fighting crime, making crime, and trying to survive the night. Join us at our meeting. Podcast. Podcast? Podcast. Join us at our podcast as we get with the program. One graphic novel at a time. 
at Gothamites Anonymous. Hello, gentle listener. Are you a lover of horror, dark tales, stories of the uncanny and unimaginable? If the answer is yes, you need to subscribe to Nocturnal Transmissions, the fortnightly podcast that brings you dark tales, both old and new, performed by voice artist Kristen Holland. You'll find us on all good podcast providers, including Spotify, or seek us out through our website, nocturnaltransmissions.com. We do so hope you can join us. Welcome back, folks. Let's dig into Chapter 8. Chapter 8, Scene 1. As was his habit when the previous night's work had run almost to daylight, Bruce Wayne arose just past noon. Alfred, as professionally anticipatory as ever, entered the master suite with a full breakfast tray and the morning papers. Bruce ate slowly, savoring the peacefulness of his surroundings. He perused the columns of newsprint through the filter of his trained eyes, automatically vacuuming anything related to crime. Nothing about the tunnel under Hellgate Prison, but this was not surprising. The Batman had called the information into the authorities only a few hours ago. After breakfast, Bruce changes into sweats and heads down to the manor's gym. Unlike other gyms, this one is more of an obstacle course for advanced hand-to-hand combat training. The ceiling slopes from a high of 35 feet to a low of 3 feet to practice repelling and crawling through tunnels. The lights can be adjusted from blinding to pitch darkness. A long box-like structure acts as a maze of sorts which a computer changes the structure of at random. He finishes his workout with yoga, free weights, and an extended martial arts kata that merged elements of Aikido and karate. He then enters a 90-minute cooldown phase, during which he meditates and focuses on his ki, the Japanese word for chi. We learn that Batman's ki is almost a force field as far as criminals are concerned. Criminal elements tried to hire a man known simply as the Sniper for $1 million for a hit on Batman. Over a speakerphone, the Sniper passed on the job. The criminals offered more money. You ain't got enough money. There ain't enough money in the world. I tried him once about three years ago. Had him dead in my sights. And when you're in my sights, you are dead, understand? I had him full frontal, that bat symbol on his chest was right in the crosshairs. I squeezed one off, perfect, like I always do. He couldn't have heard me. I was almost a quarter mile away, working with a silencer too. And I missed. He didn't even move, and I missed. I don't know what the Batman's got going for him, some kind of voodoo I heard once, but whatever he's got, I'm not going to try it again. We hear another story of Ronaldo Razorman Ramoto. He once literally had the Batman cornered, and the Batman was already very drained by previous fighting. When Ramoto advanced to finish Batman off, he only remembered regaining consciousness and could not explain what happened. My notes? 
I had to giggle a little bit at the image of Alfred waiting outside Bruce's bedroom door for hours, <laughs> waiting for him to wake up so he could serve him breakfast, you know, running back down to the kitchen every half hour or so to reheat the food. Some cool bits about martial arts and chi slash ki in here. I love any mention of Aikido as that's my thing. I've also seen and felt some really cool stuff being done with with Qigong as well. Again, chi. I'm not sure if I can believe in bullets missing by being thrown off course by someone's chi, but I do believe in a lot of the stuff and have felt a good deal of it myself. To train with Bruce Wayne would be kind of mind-blowing, wouldn't it? I feel like he'd be one of those people whose force of personality, even at rest, could be overwhelming, but he's probably also one of those people who can turn that force off or inward to make himself less noticeable, such as when he goes undercover as Matches Malone. I'm very lucky to have the Aikido instructor that I do. He's just a regular guy you'd see anywhere, but I've seen him take down three black belts with a twitch of the hips. He's taught at camps where he invites ranked practitioners of other styles to come up with him. There are always some who swagger up there, and you can pretty much pick out them as the ones who think Aikido is fake and that their Krav Maga or Jiu-Jitsu or whatever will make them invincible. But afterward, when they pick themselves up, they'll ask my sensei, How did you do that? No, seriously, how did you do that? I'm still trying to figure it out too. I've been trying for over 10 years. I wonder if my sensei is Batman. Chapter 8, Scene 2 After a short stint in the steam room, Bruce Wayne showered and shaved. He dressed rapidly, then descended to the living room where he found Alfred engrossed before the giant screen TV. The image was Hellgate Prison, an overhead shot from the network helicopter. Bruce took a seat next to his old friend, raising his eyebrows in a question. Alfred responded by patting the air in front of him in a clear, Wait a minute, gesture. The TV image shifted to a close-up of a stocky black man dressed in a dark blue suit. The knot of his red silk tie was pulled loose, and his white shirt was rumpled. His appearance was that of a man accustomed to command, under stress but remaining in control. The TV shows Warden Richardson, surrounded by a horseshoe-shaped crowd of reporters. The man is overwhelmed by the reporters and shouts, One at a time, damn it! We learned from the questions asked by the present reporters that a tunnel has been discovered at Hellgate Prison. The warden guesses the tunnel would have been completed in another 20 or 30 feet, and would have taken another four to six weeks to complete. The tunnel was brought to their attention by an anonymous source who called it in at 0600 hours that morning, and the tunnel itself was discovered at 1115. No inmates were caught in the act of working on the tunnel, but they did find the body of Lester Tuxley, who had been shanked. A reporter asks if Tuxley had any known enemies. The warden replies that Tuxley was a child molester, a chronic recidivist with over 80 victims, and anything was possible in a prison like Hellgate. Alfred hits the mute button, and the news goes to sports. A rather unexpected development, isn't it, Master Bruce? Bruce remembers the middleman warning him that if he used the name Lester Tuxley to make sure the encounter took place before today. As to whether or not the development is unexpected, Bruce replies, Maybe not. My notes? I need an image of Bruce and Alfred sitting on a couch together. I need this in my life. So if anyone can find such an image, please send it to darknightprose at gmail.com or batmanbooks underscore dkp on Twitter. 
Four to six weeks sounds like an awfully fast time to finish 20 more feet of tunnel, considering that it's reinforced to prevent cave-ins. Batman's computer calculated something like 600 to 1900 man-hours to finish it, something like that. There's 168 hours in a week, but that's with someone digging every hour of every day. Technically, with it being a supermax, I'm surprised they're even able to make their way to the tunnel to dig. Or maybe it's just a facility that has a supermax wing, but isn't fully supermax. Or maybe I'm thinking too much about this. Computer, am I overthinking this? Affirmative. Well, fine. (sighs) Moving on. I look to see if Warden Richardson is an established character. I know of Warden Sharp, but I couldn't find anything on Warden Richardson, though, so I'm assuming he's uh, a Vax original. Fun Vax for Chapter 8 Lowell Thomas hosted the first ever regularly scheduled news broadcasts on television in 1940. The first televised news bulletin happened when Ray Forrest, WNBT's announcer, broke into the broadcasts of the movie Millionaire Playboy with news that Pearl Harbor had been attacked that morning, Sunday, December 7, 1941. Millionaire Playboy? Sound like someone we know? That does it for Chapter 7 and 8 of Batman the Ultimate Evil, and next time we'll cover Chapter 9 and 10. We'll be hitting the halfway point of the book. So until next time, Gothamites, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Finger.